Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Straight ahead on the Insiders, tomorrow begins a new experience for Kim Reynolds. It'll be the first day of a new legislative session in her first full term as Iowa's governor. Hear why she is not so sure you should expect more tax cuts this year, plus why she is not pledging her support to Congressman Steve King's re-election. And we will now see how much attention billionaire Tom Steyer will get in our state and elsewhere. We will listen in on that announcement that he had that surprised a lot of people who are paying close attention to this 2020 presidential race. And in the Insider's Quick Six, what has piqued my curiosity as we get set for this new legislative session? Good morning. Tomorrow begins the next three, maybe four, maybe five months where Iowa lawmakers will meet for the new legislative session. Hopefully three or four, right? Legislators know coming into this that they won't be flush with cash again. They will have to think about things like tax cuts, low unemployment, the trade war, struggles in agriculture again. There are many different factors across our state as lawmakers get ready to work. Now, for Kim Reynolds, it's the start of her first real legislative session as Iowa's governor. Last year, of course, she had already taken over as governor for Terry Branstad, but this year it's her first full term in office as governor. She's already bringing in some of her new staff. She's brought in some new department leaders as she reshapes state government on her terms. I sat down with the governor in the governor's formal office at the state house to look at what's ahead. How do you view taxes as you go in here? So you all have already done some things the last couple of years. You have, it seems like you've kind of cautioned people that maybe 19's not the year where we're going to see some big changes, maybe clean up some stuff from the past. So how are you going to navigate this? What do you expect to do? Well, I'm proud of the, you know, the, really the fiscal strength and health of our state government right now. The budget's balanced, uh, cash reserves are full. We have $127 million surplus. That's a different, that's a whole different spot than we've been in the last couple of legislative sessions. Proud of the historic tax reform that we passed last year. We did it in a fiscally responsible manner. Uh, we're still watching trade and other elements that it could impact revenue in the state of Iowa. So that's why we put the triggers in and we did it while honoring our priorities. So, I mean, it's that same mindset I think that we'll take as we continue to always look for opportunities to help hardworking Iowans keep more of their hard-earned money. Uh, to be competitive as a state, which our corporate tax rate is not, um, and to just maybe property tax. So I don't know if there's a hard set plan right now, but we're always looking for opportunities to reduce the tax burden to make our state more competitive so that we can continue to grow our economy and build on the success that we've seen over the last several years. But it will be with the, in that same vein, where is it fiscally responsible? What's it look like in the out years? And can we still honor our commitment to our priorities, education, you know, uh, public health, public safety? Uh, tax credits, you all have talked about maybe kind of peeling some of those back here a little bit, but it's such a fine line to kind of manage in a perfect world, and correct me if I'm wrong here, in a perfect world, you bring down corporate tax rates and start 
getting rid of some of these tax credits, right? Right. But how do you how do you make that blend work in the sense that some of these tax credits are already kind of promised out a few years? So how does right. that work? Well, it's a credit. So I mean, so that's what I think. You know, they're probably I think the legislature has indicated and we've indicated that it's just really important that we take a look at them holistically when we're talking about maybe reforming, changing. Uh, some of the existing tax credits, refining them. Debbie actually did a pretty good job of that when she started with the Economic Development Authority. We had a plethora of tax incentives and she really fine-tuned those and made them, I think, pretty relevant and effective, especially with our corporate tax rate. So those need to happen together. I think they will happen together. I don't expect that to happen this legislative session, but as I said last year in the condition of the state, we're gonna start with individual tax reform. It's not a one and done. When the next phase takes place, it might be the next year before that happens. We'll run the numbers, take a look at it. But I, it, the important piece, I think, is that it happens together and it's not a one-off. We don't start looking at just individual tax credits, trying to pull those out. I think it's really important. We look at it holistically and we look at it in conjunction with bringing down the corporate tax rate. Uh, just to clarify, when you say the next year, so you're saying maybe do something in 20 that kicks in in 21? Yeah, or just, you know, I don't know if that discussion is gonna happen this year. The legislature, uh, from comments that I've heard, talked about maybe doing, uh, taking a look at the tax credits in the next interim in, in the summer of 19, so that would push that back until the next legislative session. Uh, you referenced Debbie, Debbie Durham yeah. here. Uh, your good friend, you all were roomies for a while, right? <laughs> yes. Back when you were lieutenant governor. Um, so you need your old roomie now to do two jobs? And how's this going to work? <laughs> well, you know, I think those comments are kind of selling Debbie short. She is probably one of the best economic development directors in the country. And I really say that without hesitation. She has been a driver of reforming uh, the economic development department. We went from uh, a public-private component, uh, which has been extremely effective. We've increased exports. We've seen great, great success, success stories uh, in this state, and she's been a driver of that. And I think, especially, you know, the two biggest barriers right now to continued economic development is workforce and housing. And one of IFA's core missions is housing. And this is something that's been looked at before. And so in the interim, we won't do anything legislatively, but let's have Debbie, Director Durham, take a look at IFA and the Economic Development Authority and see if there's some ways that we can coordinate, scale, and align and really have a bigger input on especially housing uh, all across this state. It, it, there is a tremendous need, especially in rural Iowa, because we've seen so much growth in our urban cities. It's hard to get those contractors and developers to go out to rural Iowa, and there's jobs out there as well. We can't get people to locate there if they don't have a place to live. So I, I just, we're, she's gonna be taking a, a good, healthy look at how those two agencies can better align and coordinate and serve Iowans, uh, especially when it comes to housing. And is this a um, part-time, I mean, a, a temporary thing where she'll do both? Well, we're gonna start, she'll be the acting director for IFA, director for economic development. Again, I need to give her some time to work with the agency, to look at the programs, to see where there's economies of scale, maybe some efficiencies that can be recognized. I mean, I'm not about growing government, I'm about making it more efficient and effective, and if there's an opportunity to kind of streamline some of that, we should take advantage of that. Um, I changed the structure in my office. Uh, we have, you know, I brought in a chief operating officer that will work 
strategically with all of our agencies. We are one team, one policy, one communication, and when we operate from that perspective and we have a sole, a sole point of contact, that helps, I think, really drive that coordination, that alignment, that messaging so that we can better serve Iowans. So I'm really excited about that. Um, and, and so that's a piece of that restructure maybe on the, on the other side. Will you talk about that a little bit? So that's Paul Trombino, yeah. the man who used to leave, uh, leave the Department of Transportation. What do you see as his emphasis here? I think you're gonna have, obviously, some people are gonna be excited about if he can find efficiencies, bring down the size of government. You're gonna have some other people worried about, all right, what's he gonna, what's he gonna cut? What is he gonna recommend? Well, I don't know here? if it's necessarily that. It's just about better coordinating and operating as one team. And I think what we've, we have a very small staff. Uh, I have not been utilizing the agencies in a manner that I really should. They have the resources, they have the communication team, they have the, you know, so we want to utilize our agencies in a better manner. Chief of Staff is still the Chief of Staff, she's leading um, my team, uh, and so she'll work very closely with Paul, so, so Sarah will still have direct coordination with all of the agencies, but Paul can really do the day-to-day -day and work with the agencies and look for opportunities. I want them driving our 99-county tour. I want them to tell me what they're working on so that we can coordinate that message. I want to make sure that when we lay out the vision for the state of Iowa and Iowans moving forward over the next four years, every single agency is driving that same message, that same policy, that same coordination. And I just think we're more effective and efficient when we can do that. Uh, we talked a little bit about schools here. Uh, when we talked before the holidays, you talked about perfect world, economy's growing here, you give schools some more money to kind of keep doing what they're doing here. At least as we look initially, the forecast is pretty tight, right? We're not gonna get tremendous growth unless something changes here the next couple of years. So what should they plan for? Well, it's gonna continue to be a priority like it has in the past. Um, I'm proud of the historic investment that we've made in K-12 education. You're going to get so tired of me saying this, but I feel like I have to because it's just, it's, it's important. It's a priority. There's only three other states that have invested at a higher rate in K-12 education than Iowa. In two really tough budget years, when we had to do a deaprope, we held them harmless. That should say this is a priority. And in addition to that, we put additional funding in. We would have loved for it to be more, but we have to balance the budget. We don't get to print money. Uh, but it was a priority, and, and, and we put new money into the program. So uh, I think when I uh, put forth my budget next year and deliver the condition of the state, it'll be a reflection that uh, education uh, is, is and will continue to be a priority of my administration. I know you won't give out all the details of the condition of the state. Can you give us a, a theme or anything that people can expect? Yeah, well, we set great policy last year. We did it in a bipartisan manner. Some really key, key initiatives uh, had unanimous support. So we have the policy and the foundation in place, and now we have to make sure that we have the funding there uh, to implement it. And so this is about probably the second phase, and this is really about putting that policy, those words, that, that vision uh, into action and getting the results that uh, I, we believe that we can get from, uh, from a bill that passed unanimously. So believe me, those legislators are hearing the same thing that I hear as I travel across the state from businesses where they're excited about the growth, uh, they project significant continued growth, we just need people, great opportunity for Iowans, and so uh, they're hearing the same thing I am. This is a great way for us to really deliver and start investing in Iowans.
All right, up next, the Steve King situation, his words, the governor's words, and the challenge to his job. Some Iowa Republicans seem to be shifting when it comes to 4th District Congressman Steve King. Now make no mistake, King has thousands of supporters in his district. He's controversial, he gets people riled up, but they love it. And others though have had enough of this, enough of comments like this. Trip Gabriel posted this in the New York Times on Thursday, quote, white nationalist, white supremacist, Western civilization, how did that language become offensive, Mr. King said. Why did I sit in classes teaching me about the merits of our history and our civilization? Now, right before last November's election, I sat down here with Congressman King. He had been facing heavy criticism at the time for supporting Faith Goldie. She was a candidate for mayor in Toronto, Canada. The Congressman told me that he thought that she had deserved the right to express her free speech although what she had been expressing was widely seen as white nationalism. She had talked about her fear of a white genocide, for example. Well, here's what King told me at the time. And we better be pushing freedom of speech. That is a constitutional right, and American values are good anywhere in the world. We should be encouraging that. That's part of our culture. What is a white nationalist? Well, I'm not sure of that. I mean, first of all, I think you have to be white, but then uh, you know we've got uh, Rachel Dolezal that didn't have to be black to be black. So um, it is a derogatory term today. I wouldn't have thought so maybe a year or two or three ago, but today they use it in a derogatory term and they imply it implies that right, you are a racist. That's, right. that's, the, that's the bottom line for that. Now, Republican discontent with Congressman King for comments like that and what he said to the New York Times and many other things, that's all led to this. Assistant State Senate Majority Leader Randy Feenstra of Hull became the first Republican to announce that he will challenge King in the Republican primary in 2020. This will mark the third straight time that a Republican has primaried King. Obviously, they've never been able to beat him before, and it's not even usually close at all. We will see if 2020 will be any different here. Some Republican insiders are definitely more aggressively speaking out against King recently, and they are telling me that they are committed to defeating King in 2020. Now, here's what Governor Kim Reynolds told me right after Feenstra announced his congressional campaign. What do you think about Randy Feenstra running for Congress, and what's your role going to be in this? Well, I think, you know, the last election was a wake-up call uh, for it to be that close. Uh, that indicates that does kind of open the door for other individuals to take a look at that. And um, I, this is early. I just found out about it today, or the announcement, and uh, you know, I'm gonna, I'll stay out of the, the primary, but I just think it's a reflection of the last election. And I said to Steve, too, he's a friend, you know, but, you know, you need to decide whether you want to represent the values of the 4th District or to do something else. So I just, that was an indication that people, you know, weren't happy. Uh, it'll be kind of a big deal if you as the governor decide not to get involved in a primary for a longtime incumbent, won't it? So you're going to totally stay neutral? Well, right now, we'll take a look at it and see what happens, but, you know, I'm not going to weigh in. And a reminder that Congressman King was one of Kim Reynolds' campaign co-chairs for this last election. So you have the governor, both U.S. Senators here, Chuck Grassley and Joni Ernst, along with the Republican of Iowa Chair Jeff Kaufman. They're all saying that they will remain neutral in King's 2020 primary, opting not to side with Congressman King, who has already been elected nine times. King has responded to all of this by ripping Feenstra in a statement, accusing him of falling for Democratic talking points. But he's also pushing back at that New York Times story and that quote that I started this segment with, saying that while he considers himself a nationalist, he is not a racist. 
That may provide some comfort for some followers, but some Republican activists remain convinced that it is time to defeat him. We will see. They have said that in the past, perhaps, but not as strongly as some of these conversations are going on right now. Definitely something to watch as we move forward. Up next, one of the most unique conferences, news conferences I can remember during my time here in Iowa and the impact on the 2020 Democratic presidential race. I'll explain next. There are not a lot of announcements from people considering a run for president that really surprise the politicos. Politicians either hold a news conference to say, I'm running for president, or I'm setting up one of those exploratory committees. They don't usually do what billionaire California Democrat Tom Steyer did in Des Moines. He had already scheduled two events for this past Wednesday in our state, and then late Tuesday afternoon, his staff sent out another email, and it said that Steyer would make an announcement about his future and it would be a separate event. So it was sandwiched right in between of those other two. Here's part of that announcement. I feel compelled to continue elevating the voices of millions of Americans who understand what their representatives cannot bear to admit. Most people come to Iowa around this time to announce a campaign for the presidency. But I'm proud to be here to announce that I will do whatever it takes for as long as it takes to remove a president. Not because I disagree with his policies, not because we hold different ideologies, but because the people must do what our elected officials have been unable or unwilling to do, hold President Trump accountable. If we can show that our democracy works, if the people are able to hold a president accountable for his illegal actions, then there is hope that we can fix what's broken and return to the work of moving forward and up together as one nation. The right time to do the right thing is always right now. So Steyer is not running for president. He says he'll commit another $40 million to convince Americans to impeach President Donald Trump or at least get the president to resign. We will see now how much attention Steyer gets now that he is no longer a potential candidate. We'll also see if any other Democrats who are candidates will embrace his impeachment efforts, since right now it seems like most of them don't really want to talk about that topic. Coming up, another Iowan officially shows how Iowans really, really, really like some of their incumbents, sometimes in an historic way. Move over, Grady Patterson. South Carolina's former treasurer is now the second longest tenured person to ever serve as a state treasurer. Iowa's Mike Fitzgerald has pushed him out of the top spot. Fitzgerald got elected at the age of 30 back in 1982 this past November. Iowans elected him for a 10th term. Fitzgerald now joins Democratic Attorney General Tom Miller and Republican Governor Terry Branstad as the only Iowans who have held their respected job, respective jobs longer than anyone in any other state in history. Iowans clearly love their incumbents. Coming up, more history, Senate drama, gaming, and a prediction as we look ahead to the new legislative session. So about 24 hours into the start of the next legislative session, here's some things I'll be watching. Question one, what happens with taxes? Republicans want more tax cuts. Will they figure out tax cuts for families, new tax help for Iowans' child care expenses, more tax cuts for corporations? Will they reduce some of those tax credits like they've been talking about? Will they actually do any of these things this year? Or as the governor's saying, 
Will it actually probably be they figure out some things this year, maybe don't take effect, though, until next year? Question two, all these new women. 2019 means a record number of women in the legislature. The look of the Des Moines Metro leaders has significantly changed. I'm curious what the new women, new faces, and new voices will play a role in this next session. Question three, Nate Bolton. He refused to resign from the state Senate despite those sexual misconduct allegations from before he got elected. Senate leader Janet Peterson stripped him of committee assignments for this coming session. It's an uncomfortable dynamic for Democrats. We'll see how Bolton and his colleagues handle this. Question four, water. Will this be finally the session the lawmakers find that bipartisan solution to improving the quality of Iowa's waterways? It's hard to find anybody who works in that building who denies that water quality is an issue, but of course, the disagreements would be about what is the solution. Question five, gambling. Will online gaming be the reason we see a full-flown gambling debate this legislative session? It's always unpredictable when you talk about gambling since Republicans and Democrats don't all think alike when it comes to this overall topic. Finally, a prediction, February 3rd. Hopefully, it'll be a pretty cool day. That's the day I plan to share what I've been working on for the past two years. In TV, we call that a tease. More to come. Thanks for joining us this morning. Let's stay connected throughout the week. See you next Sunday for the Insiders. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion.